Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. As you all know, our vision very clearly stated over there is becoming Christ-like disciples, engaging the world. But there's a process for us to take even as we get as we, we, we implement and become what God has called us to be. Last year, our leadership came together and they felt that one of the things that we would like to focus on this year is to be a worshipping community united in faith, stepping up to partner with God in love. But you know, it's not just stepping up to partner with God in love, in nothingness, so to speak. Several years ago, about two years ago, the leadership had put together a team of uh, strategic planning experts who prayerfully meeting with all, several of our leaders, actually a lot of our leaders, came up with eight priority areas, eight key priority areas. And th these priority areas are not in any uh, preference uh, in, 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 the, in the order, in terms of uh, pecking order, but they are just eight of them that they came up with. And they felt that if for the next five years we focused on this, then we will be on our journey to contributing to becoming Christ-like disciples who are engaging the world. One of those uh, strategic uh, or key priority areas is growing in our connection with God. Growing in our connection with God. For those of you who are in front here, you can see this one right over here. Now, what our teams have done is they have put these eight of them on the pillars in this uh, tent. So in case you have a bit of time, you can just walk around and feel free to pray for each and every one of them. So that as we engage with each and every one of them over the next five years, we'll keep growing as God's people so that we can become more and more Christ-like disciples who are engaging the world. If you look at this one over here, it also has a scriptural reference. Actually, all of them have scriptural reference. This one is John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5. But I'm going to read, uh, because it's the one I'm going to focus on for today. I'm going to read uh, from uh, John chapter 15, from verse 1 to 11, just to give us the context of that particular priority area. I'm going to ask the scriptures to be up. And we are going to read it slowly so that it, we, we, we get it inside of ourselves. We absorb it, all right? Are you ready? Can we stand up as we read the scripture? This is from John. We are going to start from uh, chapter, in John chapter 15 from verse 1 to 11, all right? All right, one, two, three, let's go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. All right, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please take your seats. For those of you who take notes or like to follow a sermon outline, I have just outlined those 11 verses the way I see them. And the first uh, part I've done is the farmer. You realize there's a farmer or the owner of that particular garden. And uh, he's, that is the first person you see there. And then there is the true vine. And then there is the fruitless vine. It does not produce any fruit. And then there is the fruitful, not, not fruitless vine, rather fruitless branch. And then there is the fruitful branch. And then there are various tools that you will notice in that particular scripture. So let's go uh, to the first slide. That is the farmer. The farmer there, I, I'd request if you have your Bibles, just keep them open because I won't, I, won't produce, I won't show the scriptures up there. I'll just give you the verse. But one of the things that the farmer does that we see over here is that the farmer cares for the vine and the garden. He's basically caring for it. He not only owns it, he's caring for it. It's not a wild kind of garden or farm but he's always caring for it. And Jesus, talking to the disciples, says, my father is the gardener. It has an owner. And the goal of the father, the goal of God is productivity, more productivity of fruitfulness. It is not just a farm that is there just for the sake of uh, 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 just uh, beauty and, and so on and so forth, but it is to be productive. He says in verse 2, so that, so, that it may, so that it may be even more fruitful. And then what this farmer does is he cuts the unproductive branches. He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit. But for those branches that bear fruit, he doesn't also just leave them because they are bearing fruit. He says in verse 2, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it can even be more productive. And then there is the true vine. And, and Jesus identifies himself as the true vine. And this true vine is the source of life because, of course, you can, a branch cannot bear fruit unless it's alive, unless it's living. And so he's the source of that life and fruitfulness. Because he says in, in verse 1 and then verse 5, 5, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
But he's also the source of answered prayer. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In verse 9, he's the source of love. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And he's also the source of obedience. He says, just as I have kept my father's commands and remained in his love, and he commands us now to also obey or to be obedient. But more than that, he's also the source of joy. He says, so that my joy may be in you, speaking to the branch that abides. But let's go to the fruitless branch. The fruitless branch, it bears no fruit course, it's fruitless. And then it does not remain in the vine. It says no, because he says in verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. In essence, this branch, it, it may be looking as though it is there, but it's, it cannot bear fruit by itself. It is really by itself. And Jesus tells them, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this branch really does not remain in the vine. And then it is cut off from the vine by the farmer because he, he does not produce fruit. And not only does he cut it off because this farmer cares for his garden, for his farm, and he owns it. He throws this branch that does not bear fruit away. This branch with us, he picks it up and it's burned in verse 6. What about the fruitful branch? The fruitful branch, it remains in the vine and it is obedient. And I think that's why Jesus says, it remain in me as I also remain in you. And then he says, if you keep my commands, you will also remain in my love. And so it remains in him and it remains in the love of the vine. But also this, this branch is dependent. It depends on the vine. And because it depends on the vine, it is fruitful. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And as if that is not enough, the farmer prunes this particular branch. While every branch that does not bear fruit, while every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. So the farmer is very interested in this branch that bears fruit. And he's not just satisfied with the fact that it bears fruit. He prunes it so that it can bear much more fruit. But this branch also glorifies God. In verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so it's not just, the branch is not just about itself. It is about the Father's glory. Whenever it's bearing fruit, there's that joy in it, knowing that I'm bearing this fruit because I'm giving the Father glory. And not just that, it is showing itself to be God's disciple because the way to show that it is God's disciple is by bearing fruit. This branch also has a sense of belonging in a very lonely world, in a very confusing world. It has a sense of belonging and it is loved because it is written in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It is, it's got joy so to speak, in verse 11. I have told you this thing so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
In other words, this branch has complete joy, real joy, in other words, just saying it, deep inside itself. And then there are some tools that are used over there. Now, I, the tools are not really mentioned, all of them. But I remember when I was growing up, my, my parents used to grow coffee and they used to grow tea. And the implements they used to prune the coffee were not the same implements that they used to prune the tea. And even the way of pruning, the two of them were quite different. Uh, whenever tea is pruned, it looks as if it's almost dead. And coffee, there are some branches that will be left over. And he doesn't tell us which tools he used, but he just tells us in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, the, the tool for cutting off branches may also be completely different from the tool of pruning, because pruning is an art. Bra I think cutting off the branches, anybody can do it. You just need a panga and you cut it off. But pruning is a skill. But then there is the tool of fire. These branches that do not bear fruit are not just cut off and left there. They're actually thrown into the fire and burnt so that no one will ever even know that they were there. No one will even ever recognize that they were there. And then, of course, like I mentioned earlier, there's the pruning tools. And then he mentions the word of God. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Speaking to the branches that bear fruit. And then he also talks of prayer. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's referring to the fact that in God there is life, there's blessing, there's fruitfulness, there's joy. And those who listened and are united with him, these attributes begin to indwell in them and they begin to exist in them. But that is not all. They begin to flow through them. So that there is fruitfulness. So that, because the purpose of fruit, fruit is never usually for that particular branch. It's for other people. It's for reproduction, but also for other people to enjoy that particular fruit. And so this branch is not just about itself. It's for the benefit of others. Even as much it is about the, the process of reproduction as well. Now let me give you a little bit of background to John chapter 15, but I'll, I want to begin from chapter 13 all the way to 16. Chapter 13, we find ourselves on the Thursday night of the Passion Week. This is the last week of Jesus on this, on this, on this, on this earth. And on that Thursday was just the, the, the night before he was crucified. And, and, and here Jesus was, it was a very important night because he gathers with his 12 disciples in an, what, we, what is normally called an upper room. And they are sharing this Passover meal. They are celebrating this Passover meal. And as that night moved on, Jesus tells the disciples that one of you is going to betray me. One of you is a traitor. And of course they all ask, is it I? Is it I? Which means none of them knew who among them could be a traitor. Because the 12 of them had been together they had done great things together. They had walked with Jesus together. They all seemed as though they loved Jesus, all of them together. But when Judas dipped his bread into that wine, Jesus told him, now you can go and do what you had planned. And so Judas leaves. In fact, the others think that he's sending them, he's sending him to do some errands because he was the one who kept the money. And so probably they are just thinking it's the usual way uh, Jesus is uh, sending him to do something. But Judas from that night, he leaves and goes and meets the leaders of Israel so that they could arrange the arrest and the subsequent crucifixion 
of Jesus, uh, of Jesus Christ. And so by the time you're getting to chapter 15 of the book of John, Judas has actually gone. And it is only the 11 disciples who are left. And these are the true disciples. And so they are, they, they, they are, here they are no longer in the upper room. They have already left. And it is deep in the night, just before the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus continued to speak to them and tell them what, uh, what exactly is going to happen and, and exactly what is happening even at that particular time. And so the, he gives this metaphor. He gives a picture, you know, a word picture. The story about a vine, about the branches and the fruit bearing and, and proves that, uh, that proves that someone is a true disciple. This is about, this story is about the, the nature of genuine salvation and genuine discipleship. The understanding of Jesus Christ as God the Messiah, the one who has life and the only way to salvation. And so there are two types of discipleship by this night that you see. The one of the disciples who uh, is, is, is attached to Jesus, that is Judas Iscariot. But by this time, the devil has, 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 been, uh, it has entered him in his heart and he's ready to betray Jesus. And so Jesus is very clear that one of them will do that. But the others have no idea who it is. And the disciple himself is also clear what his aim is. What is the character of this person, Judas? There was nothing manifestingly obvious in his life and character and behavior of Judas that could distinguish him as a false disciple. He was visibly attached. For all intents and purposes, he looked like everyone else and did what everyone else did. He even did miracles, cast out demons. But clearly, there were two kinds of people in that particular room that night. There were those who would remain abiding in the vine and then there was that one who would not abide in the vine. Judas had this outward appearance of attachment but there was no life in him. There was no fruit in him. He had for three years been close to Jesus. So much so that people didn't even know that there was no life in him. He was high profile. Trusted to the extent that he carried the money. He was a treasurer. But he was a false disciple. He had, in essence, built a religious house. Double personality. To the extent that when Jesus is speaking about tares and wheat, he says, look, when they are growing up, you can't even know. So he says, let them grow. Because only time will tell. And especially at the time of fruitfulness. This could happen. You could be attached to a church. But you have no life. You could be attached to a particular religion. But you have no life. You could say you are a Christian. Because your family has generations of Christians. But you have no life. You could be in the church for other purposes. You could be in the church because you find fellowship in the church. You could even be in a CLG because you find friends in the church, but you have no life. And then there is the true vine. The true vine 
When Jesus calls himself the true vine, it implies that there are other vines. But these other vines are really not the real vines. In Old Testament, Israel is referred to as the vine. And even if you look at the pictures, like the temple that uh, was built by Herod later, they, it had all these pictures of the vine to show that that is the picture of Old Testament. But Israel had a particular and specific role. They were to be the channel through which the real vine, the true vine, would come through. But many Jews at this particular time had assumed that they were simply connected to God simply by being Jews, simply by being the seed of Abraham. In fact, in Paul, in Romans, Paul says of the Jews that they, 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 they have a form of godliness, but they have no life. They deny its power. Israel, for some of them, just became like the real thing. It became like this is where the life is. And even Paul himself fell into this trap before he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He assumed just because I'm a Jew and because I have the law, then I have life. And it's so easy for so many people to be deceived and to be confused, to be so obedient, even to the law, to be so obedient. And they are good character. They have nothing in them that their community can say, this is a bad person. They don't, they, if the community thinks drinking is a bad thing, they don't drink. If, uh, if, 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 uh, if, if uh, gambling is considered a bad thing in that community, they don't gamble. And so they assume that I am okay by virtue of the fact that society and community views me as a virtuous person, as an okay person. They are attached to Christianity. They are accepted. So much accepted that even they can be brought into the leadership because they meet all the conditions that are said to be. But when tested by time and truth, they find that they are fruitless. They have no life. Judas, as has been said by historians, he was looking forward to the revival of the nation of Israel. And he was looking forward to this Messiah that will come and fight for Israel and Israel will be great again. And probably when he found out that Jesus was not doing the way he wanted it, he left. And of course, like I said, there are some people who come to church with all sorts of motives. They come to church with this motive, I'll go to the church, I'll be healed of my diseases, I'll go to the church, I'll be rich, I'll go to the church, I'll, I'll, I'll get this job because I'll be prayed for, I'll get this job. And then when they don't get it, or even when things become worse for them, like Judas, they leave. Because their motives, they were in the wrong vine from the very beginning. Their motives were wrong. They were never genuinely in Christ Jesus. They are superficially attached to fulfill their own motives and to fulfill their own purposes. The gardener, when he comes and sees no fruit, says he cuts off so that he does not suck the energy out of the vine uselessly. But if you look at this story clearly, you realize that it was actually Judas himself who left. It was not even God. 
who told him to leave. He gave him all the opportunities he could, but he left. And so you may be sitting here and thinking, wow, God will cut me off. No, God gives you an opportunity to genuinely be connected to him, to genuinely know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you may bear fruit. But when you live on your own accord, then all that you are doing, all that you are doing just disappears. It's like burnt. No one remembers it. Because when, at the end, it comes to those who will have life, you will not be in that book. You will not be remembered. Because you will not be there. What about the fruitful, the fruitful vine? The fruitful vine, he prunes. You know, I was, I was at a friend's place the other day. And he had this lovely tree, a fruit tree. But it wasn't bearing much fruit. And, and he told me, I don't think I'll get many fruits from this place. Because for me to get fruits from this place, it has to be pruned. And he said, some of his father's branches, the coffee tree believes it's going to die. And when it believes it's going to die, it produces more seeds for survival, just the way nature does. And so that way then the farmer is able to get more fruit from it. He cuts off the superfluous, the excesses, the unnecessary branches so that he can get fruit from it. Because when you don't prune, you don't actually get quality fruit. But when you prune, you get quality fruit. And so what the, the farmer does, he cuts off what he considers wasteful. He considers unnecessary things. The sucker branches. He comes along with a knife. It's a very painful process if it's a human being and he cuts it. For us as believers, maybe you're here and you're thinking, my goodness, this passage is not for me. I'm already producing fruit. Then you're ready for pruning. Because God the Father, God the farmer wants more fruit. If you are able to produce a hundred, why produce fifty? If you are able to produce a thousand, why produce five hundred? He is ready for more fruit. And he knows your potential. And so what he does is he cuts off wasteful behavior that interfered, interferes with your ability to be more productive in his kingdom with your ability to reproduce in his kingdom. Maybe you're preoccupied with things that do not matter. How, how does he prune us? How does God prune us? Sometimes it is by allowing storms in our lives. Various forms of hardships. You may remember Job. God Job was producing so much fruit, he was being faithful. But God wanted to take him to another level. And he allows storms in his life. Because until and unless we only find Jesus Christ to be of our only value, if there is anything else that we hold on to and think this will be our God or this will be our salvation, if there is a relationship that is more of more importance to you than to God. A time comes when God brings about a situation where even that is removed. For some of us, it's businesses. Some of them are removed. And you have to ask yourself the question, what is of critical importance to me in life? 
I was talking to some people who had gone through some crisis. And you know, at some point they thought they were going to die. Just like my father told me, when you prune, the tree thinks it's dying. They thought they were finished. But they say it was during that time when they had nothing else to hold on to that they knew God. They were able to eat. They were able to educate their children. And they got to know indeed there is God. And so he brings up storms in our lives. Some of, some of us, it's just reputation. He messes up with your reputation. He allows slander to come. He allows failure to come. He allows persecutions like he did with the disciples who are in Jerusalem. He allows disappointments. How do I know that? James chapter 1 from verse 2 to 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But you see, it's not afflictions that are the knife, the pruning line. It is actually the word of God. Because when persecutions come, when the storm come, when affliction come, we get confused. But when we are in the word of God, we then get our north back. We get our direction back. We get to know of the promises of God and we find our rock. We find our place in the rock. Because storms are never easy. And so what are we talking about, brothers and sisters? We're saying for the next five years, as we journey this, 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 this walk, let's not look at storms as obstacles to fulfilling God's purposes. Because God will bring storms in our lives that will keep redirecting us back to the true north, to himself. Difficulties should not destroy you. Go back to the word of God that we may be connected to the God, to our God, even in times of storms. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 to 13 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, he's saying through his word, God not only cleanses us, but he sharpens us and he prunes us to the extent and to the level that we only find our meaning and identity in him if we are producing fruit. When trials come and we react wrongly, it is the word that convicts us. It's the word that cuts into our disrespect for God's purposes. When we are going this direction and thinking this is the only way to success, this is the way my father told me is the way to success, this is the way society says is the way to success, he cuts it off. And then you begin to realize that is not the way to success. The way to success in God's economy is to be stayed in him. Spurgeon said affliction is the grindstone that sharpens the knife. Affliction makes us ready for the knife to feel the word of God, to know that we are not in charge. Why does he do that? So that we may bear more fruit. The more you know and love the word of God, the better you react to trials. And trials will come. And as our team has put up this priority, whenever you look at it, they have said a community growing in our connection with God. 
In other words, we have to work together as community. So that whenever we are facing trials, we encourage one another to the right path. Be in a small group, a community life group, that you may encourage one another. Be in fellowship. That when trials come, you're not alone in that room. You have somebody praying for you. That we may walk together as God's people. That we may pray God's purposes. Because when we pray God's purposes, he then fulfills that which we are praying for. Let us submit to the knife, my brothers and sisters. Even as we reflect on what God is calling us to for the next five years. Cutting away all the sin that God wants to cut away. Cutting away the things that do not matter. Even though they may matter to us, to him it may not matter. That we may fulfill these purposes. You may recall in the Bible there are some people like Abraham. Cutting off pruning. He's in these communities enjoying his life. And God tells him, leave your people. So that I can do a work in you. And of course it's not for all of us. For some people he will do that. Because there are some relationships that have to be left for God to fulfill his purposes in your life. Abraham takes his time. He delays for five years. He delays. And when he leaves, he does not even leave the way God had told him. He used to live with his wife alone. He carries other people. Delaying for five years when he gets to where God wants him to get, it is famine. He finds himself in Egypt. He has to check that Sarai is his sister. A white lie, so they say, because it was his half-sister. He ends up with giving slaves where Hagar comes from. God has told them they'll have children. Then they realize they're not getting any children. So they, they try what is very common to us Christians. It's called self-salvation. So he and his wife find a way to get other children. That is not what God had told him to do. That becomes a pain in Abraham's life. And not just for Abraham. To this day, we are suffering that. God prunes those who are productive. Are you ready for the knife? Are we ready as we face the next five years? Will trials and storms and tribulation make you to turn back? Or are you ready to hold on to this God tenaciously. And not only us, are we ready to teach our children? Are we ready to be more productive, to make more disciples, to make to reproduce ourselves in other people and to benefit society by our fruits, by holding on tenaciously to this Jesus Christ. Can you worship him? Come and just lead us as we sing this song. Just reflect on these things. How ready are you? How prepared are you? Are you going through a storm right now? How are you handling that storm? Are you cursing God? Because that is what Job's wife told him. Curse God and die. Are you ready to curse God? Or are you praising God? This word here, worship, actually was not really part of this plan. This, um, this, 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 um, this particular priority. But our communication team put worship. And I have no idea why. But it is a place where when Job is afflicted and he has nothing left. His, what he held on to his wealth, his animals, his children have all died. He removes his clothes and says, and he worships the Lord. And he says, naked I came and naked I'll go. He was ready to worship the Lord even when everything else had been taken away.
Are you ready to worship the Lord? Has this message challenged you? We hope that it has been a blessing in your life. If you would like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721 990 880. God bless you.